The following Dharma talk was given by Katie Yosha Scott Childress. Yosha is a senior student in the Mountains and Rivers Order, a ceramics artist, and a library director here in the Hudson Valley. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or to find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. My name's Yosha. Um, I wanted to talk today about the diamond net of Indra. Um, it's said that in the abode of the god Indra, a net was hung over Indra's palace on Mount Meru, and it stretches across the entire universe in all directions. The net has an infinite number of intersecting points, and at each point there is a jewel, and each jewel is reflected in all the other jewels. So I love this image of this jewel net, which is all of us. Um, We and each thing in the universe are each one of these jewels in the net. And I've been pondering this uh, for a little while as I've read a book about Huayan Buddhism, by, um, which is called, called The Jewel Net of Indra by Francis Cook. Um, the jewel net is a favorite image of the Huayan school, which flourished in China uh, during the Tang Dynasty, which was uh, 618 to 907 of the Common Era, and it died out after that, um, but not its influence. Uh, it's the name Huayan is a translation of Avatamsaka Sutra, or Avatamsaka, um, and so for the Huayan followers that Avantamsaka uh, was their main document and their main study. So Huayan or Avantamsaka means flower ornament. And the Avatamsaka Sutra is also a foundational text for Chan and Zen, which were also influenced by Huayan. Um, the Avatamsaka Sutra is a long and grandiose and kaleidoscopic, extensive text, um, which I think you could study for your whole life. And, um, and that's what most of the Huayan monastics dedicated themselves to. So the theme of relatedness and interpenetration of all levels of reality is uh, what the diamond net is pointing to. Um, And it's a major theme in Huayan. The the jewel net of Indra, as it's called, is a presentation of the world, of the universe, and of reality from an enlightened perspective. Huayan put forward a way of understanding reality that um, 
is the fourfold dharma dhatu, or essence of reality, which can be perceived in meditation. The first um, is seeing phenomena as the universal oneness of things. The second is seeing the particular in our everyday reality. The third is seeing the inner penetration of the universal and the particular. And the fourth is seeing the interpenetration of the particulars with other particulars. And this is the dual net metaphor. Hogan Sensei said yesterday in his talk that people sitting in the zendo are called a forest. And I love that image. Um, I read a, a book recently called The Entangled Life which is about fungi, and it showed how forests are connected by a vast network of mycelium that move resources from those who have more to those who need it, like from big trees to smaller trees. So scientists are discovering more and more about this vast interconnected network that exists under the ground uh, and um, seeing that we actually don't know that much about it, but it it is responsive and it, it is creating this interconnected forest. They call it the wood wide web. (laughs) Um, so I wonder about does the mycelium know that it's helping and do the big trees know that they're giving or is giving just their way how are we trees giving in this Zen forest. I think there's so many ways that we can see and that we can't see about what we're giving here. We support each other by getting up really early together, which would be impossible for most of us on our own. Uh, We support each other by sitting still, being quiet, bowing, serving, sharing our practice in all these ways. So there are these outward ways of giving, and then there are all kinds of other ways that we're receiving from our teachers and their teachers and their teachers' teachers, and from all of the places that are feeding us in all the many ways. We have so many, so many things that are bringing us here and creating this forest that we see and we don't see. In her book, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimmerer wrote down the Thanksgiving address that the children in the 
Haudenosaunee Confederacy School recite at the beginning and end of each week. And it's known in the Onondaga language as the words that come before all else. She says, this ancient order of protocol sets gratitude as the highest priority. The gratitude is directed straight to the ones who share their gifts with the world. It is said that people were instructed to stand and offer these words whenever they gathered, no matter how many or how few, before anything else was done. And it's actually a long um, address. Uh, I'll read a bit of it um, so that you can have a flavor. Maybe you've already read this book, but it's beautiful. Um, It starts out, Today we have gathered, and when we look upon the faces around us, we see that the, the cycles of life continue. We have been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living beings. So now, let us bring our minds together as one as we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. Now our minds are one. We are thankful to our Mother Earth, for she gives us everything that we need for life. She supports our feet as we walk upon her. It gives us joy that she still continues to care for us, just as she has from the very beginning of time. To our mother, we send thanksgiving, love, and respect. Now our minds are one. We give thanks to all the waters of the world for quenching our thirst, for providing strength and nurturing life for all beings. We know its power in many forms, waterfalls and rain, mists and storms, rivers and oceans, snow and ice. We are grateful that the waters are still here, meeting their responsibility to the rest of creation. Can we agree that water is important to our lives and bring our minds together as one to send greetings and thanks to the water? Now our minds are one. So it goes on to thank many other things with with verses, and I'll just say the first part of the verses, so you know all the things that are getting thanked. We turn our thoughts to all the fish life in the water. Now we turn toward the vast fields of plant life. When we look around us, we see that berries are still here, providing us with delicious food. With one mind, we honor and thank all the food plants. Now we turn to the medicine herbs of the world. Standing around us, we see all the trees. We gather our minds together to send our greetings and thanks to all the beautiful animal life of the world. We put our minds together as one and thank all the birds who move and fly about over our heads. We are thankful for the powers we know as the four winds. Now we turn to the west where our grandfathers, the big thunder, live. We now send greetings and thanks to our eldest brother, the sun. We put our minds together and give thanks to our oldest grandmother, the moon, who lights the nighttime sky. 
She is a leader of women all over the world and she governs the movement of the ocean tides. By the changing face we measure time and it is the moon who watches over the arrival of children here on earth. Let us gather our thanks for Grandmother Moon together in a pile, layer upon layer of gratitude, and then joyfully fling that pile of thanks high into the night sky that she will know. With with one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our Grandmother, the Moon. We give thanks to the stars who are spread across the sky like jewelry. We gather our minds to greet and thank the enlightened teachers who have come to help throughout the ages. When we forget how to live in harmony, they remind us the way we were instructed to live as people. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to these caring teachers. Now our minds are one. We now turn our thoughts to the Creator or Great Spirit and send greetings and thanks for all the gifts of creation. We have now arrived at the place, this is how it ends, we have now arrived at the place where where we end our words. Of all the things we have named, it is not our intention to leave anything out. If something was forgotten, We leave it to each individual to send such greetings and thanks in their own way. And now our minds are one. So in acknowledging all that we're receiving, can we say now our minds are one? When we get ready for our Oriyoki meal here in the Zendo, the cook offers the food first to the Buddha with a steady drumbeat, which turns into a thundering roll as the cook completes the ritual. And I think the drum is saying, this meal is a really big deal. Being recipients of food is a big deal. 72 labors brought us this food. We should know how it comes to us. We take this food with everyone. We eat to save all sentient beings, we say. And this is so different, unfortunately, from how we sometimes take food for granted and eat carelessly and in a hurry. And um, I think this is one of those urgent questions that Hogan Sensei was pointing to in his talk, being preoccupied by all these really insignificant things. We miss some things that are really important a really big deal, like a meal or even a small bit of food in front of us. This, it's part of this vast network of giving that we're all part of. So 
So um, I'm told that 40% of the food that's produced in this country goes to waste. And that's a lot of life and energy and carbon emissions. 72 million labors brought us this food. The food is our karma. So we're, we're receiving all the time, and we're giving, but it feels like we're in the midst of systems that celebrate hoarding resources. And um, I know I get confused about myself and my ability to give and receive and perceive myself as, as separate and as not connected and not receiving the love and connection that I want. And um, this is a lot of confusion, or it's the, the source of a lot of confusion, at least for me, not seeing that connection. Because it, it is, it's here. So Hua Yen devotees, uh, devotes uh, much of its teaching um, to the identity of the parts and the whole using the example of um, a building and a rafter. The building is not yet a building without a rafter. And a rafter is not a rafter unless it's part of a building. All the parts of the building are like this. They're different in particular, but they're also identical as being parts of a whole. Francis Cook, in his book about Hua Yen, says, when these concepts are manifested in the mind of the bodhisattva, then when one of the many obstacles is overcome, all are overcome, and one acquires the destruction of the kleshas. In practicing the virtues, the paramitas, when one is perfected, all are perfected, And in regard to reality, when one part is revealed, everything is revealed. All things are endowed with universality and particularity. Beginning and end are the same. And when one first arouses the aspiration for enlightenment, one also becomes perfectly enlightened. The goal is inherent in causal practice. So I find this really encouraging, that we can um, focus on these particulars, these little pieces of, our, of, of whatever it is that we're experiencing, and attempt to, to see, to see it clearly. And even just seeing one thing, one, one klesha, which is an obstacle, which is a, I'm such a shitty person, dot, dot, dot. Just seeing one, one instance and not believing it a little bit 
It's not being totally convinced. Just a little crack of doubt can skewer all of the rest of these obscurations. Just a little crack of doubt. So, um, Thomas Cleary said in, in his introduction to the Avatamsaka Sutra, <coughs> the activity known as the practice of the vow of Samantabhadra, the embodiment of universal good, all workers for enlightenment are one totality. The whole effort is one totality. Within this single overall effort, different workers fulfill different functions. These may be represented, for example, as different schools, different cycles of teaching, different modes of practice. In essence, all of these workers are the same based on the vow of universal good and the aspiration for universal enlightenment. All ultimately have the same essence, which is referred to as Buddha nature, but there are diff- but but they are different in they are different in characteristics in the formulations and methods they employ. The work of all the workers forms the body of Samantabhadra. The multitudes form the one. No individual worker completes the entire task alone. The enlightening being enlightens all sentient beings and purifies all worlds. As an operative in the whole work, the vows of the enlightening being representing attunement with this totality. So each of us is an enlightening being. We've made vows. We're striving for enlightenment. We're all giving something here. We're all making this. We're making this session. We're making this sangha. We're making this practice. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, um, there's 10 stages of the Bodhisattva. And there's so much in that that relates to karma. Uh, And I'll just read you a little bit. Um, I don't know if you've read this text. It's a long text, and um, the first time I cracked it open, I thought it was crazy, and I still (laughs) think it's kind of crazy, but uh, in more of a good way. And um, I kind of like to just um, take a bath in the words and, you know, wash around and not try too hard to understand, but just just enjoy it. Um, So uh, there abided this large group of enlightening being those enlightening beings were abiding in the sphere of knowledge of all enlightening beings. 
Their sphere of action was that of ceaseless penetration into the entries of the realm of knowledge of all enlightened ones. They were skilled in showing all feats of power appropriately, time for the development and liberating guidance of all sentient beings. In order to fulfill all the great vows of enlightening beings in all worlds, at all times, all ages, and all lands, they diligently cultivated practices unceasingly. They had fulfilled the inexhaustible stores of virtue, knowledge, and occult powers of all enlightening beings for the benefit of all worldly beings. Their names were Diamond Matrix, Jewel Matrix, Lotus Matrix, Matrix of Glory, Matrix of Lotus-like Splendor, Solar Matrix, Sun Matrix, Earth Matrix, Matrix of Lunar Purity, Matrix of Manifestation of All Rays of Adornment, and it goes on and on and on. (laughs) And at that So a little bit later, it says, at that time, diamond matrix, by the power of Buddha, entered the concentration called light of the great vehicle. And as soon as they had done so, there appeared to them as many Buddhas as atoms in 10 billion Buddha lands from beyond all, from beyond as many worlds as atoms in 10 Buddha lands in each of the 10 directions, all of her all of whom were alike named Diamond Matrix. (laughs) So apparently um, one of these Huayan teachers, in order to demonstrate to uh, Empress Wu um, this jewel net and this Diamond Matrix, had a palace room covered in mirrors, small mirrors, all over the floor, the ceiling, the walls, everywhere, and then set a, a Buddha down with a burning torch next to it. And so then the, the empress, when she looked at it, she could see the Buddha reflected in these mirrors and the mirrors, the reflection, and it went on and on and on for infinity. And so this is... Um, something to uh, give another um, sort of tangible idea of this jewel net that we're part of. So um, one of the reasons that I'm drawn to this, the jewel net, um, is because um, in contemplating this this vast interconnected whatever it is, um, it helps me to feel small in a good way, um, in the sense of um, not making too big of a deal out of things that bother me. Um, because um, things that bother me can quickly become a really big deal, and they're really trivial, usually. Um, so it's helpful to, to pull back into that. 
Um, and also feeling like uh, I don't need to control so much or I can't even control as much as I maybe think I can. And that's helpful for me, at least. Um, So I think that we we have a sense that we're connected, but we we want evidence, and um, I think we can see the evidence when we see how much everything is giving giving all the time and we're receiving all the time. I think a lot of us come into practice with this question of who am I? And um, when I think of myself as part of this interconnected, intelligent organism, it begs the question, what are we? What are we in the midst of? The Buddha in his enlightenment the, the core of the teaching is his realization of no self, anatman. And we can read about this and think about this and talk about this no self, but I don't think that anybody's ever been able to really explain it. Um, but I think that that's what the teachings of the diamond net are about. And the implications are are radical. So I'll just um, end with a quote from the Diamond Sutra with the Buddha talking to Subhuti Subhuti, what do you think? You should not maintain that the Tathagata has this thought. I shall take living beings across. Subhuti, do not have that thought. And why? There are actually no living beings taken across by the Tathagata. For if there were living beings taken across by the Tathagata, then the Tathagata would hold the existence of a self or others, of living beings and of a life. Subhuti, the existence of a self spoken of by the Tathagata is no existence of a self, but common people 
take it as an existence of a self. So what, what are we? What are we in the midst of here? Thanks for listening. Do you have physical challenges to visiting Zen Mountain Monastery or Fire Lotus Temple? The Diamond Net is a group of Mountains and Rivers Order students who are available to support your practice. We provide Dharma and other support to Sangha members facing life challenges such as illness or mobility issues. If you would like to visit the monastery or the Zen Center but need some physical help, someone from the Diamond Net can assist you. For information, email diamondnet at mro.org or visit our webpage at zmm.org and look under the Programs menu.